Hi everyone, I'm Amna, the host of Uncomfortable. This is a very special episode of Uncomfortable. It's being released outside of our regular programming schedule because of a big conversation we're having as a country right now about politics and sports, about race and free speech. And we needed to address that right here, which is why we're having this conversation today. And I'm really pleased to say that joining us from Los Angeles for this conversation is my friend and colleague, Elsie Granderson. Elsie, thanks so much for being here. Of course. When you call, I come running. <laughs> I'm saving that, <laughs> and I'm playing it back to you next time I leave you a message that goes unanswered. Um, Woo! Listen, you are in Can't many ways, you are, you're uniquely qualified to talk about a lot of this stuff because these are things you have reported on for a very long time at an intersection that not a lot of journalists have. And let's just start it off by setting the scene a little bit, right? The president, whenever he speaks or tweets, can set off a national debate. And on Friday night in Alabama, he weighed in on sort of the occasional protests that have been going on on the sidelines of NFL games, uh, sparked, of course, by Colin Kaepernick, who kneels during pregame the national anthem. Uh, and President Trump says, wouldn't you love to see one of those NFL players when somebody disrespects our flag to say, get that SOB off the field right now? Elsie, when you heard that, when you learned about those statements, what did you think? Did you think that it would spark the reaction it did? I did uh, because Trump has proven to be quite the lightning rod, particularly when you look at the timing of when he has these sort of moments, right? Like Thursday night, we're talking about whether or not the repeal for the Affordable Care Act is actually going to happen this time. Friday, he hosts his rally in Alabama says these inflammatory remarks, and now we're not talking about health care anymore, or at least not nearly at the same sort of fever pitch that we were prior to those comments. He's done this time and time again in both his campaign and as well as president. So I wasn't surprised necessarily to see the uproar. Um, I was a little bit surprised to see the owners respond as quickly as they did to it, but I guess when the President of the United States suggests you stop watching the NFL, that hurts the pocketbooks, and that's when businessmen billionaires get involved and they decide to say something and rebuke the president's remarks. But in general, I wasn't, I wasn't that surprised to see the public in, up in arms about what he tweeted or what he said, because that's been par for the course, particularly when we're close to a really big, important policy discussion. So you think, just to be clear, you think this was a distraction to get away from some of the policy discussions. You think that's why he started talking about it? You know, I, it's hard to determine. I, I've never interviewed uh, Trump or, or anything like that, but from the outside looking in and have talking to people who have been close to the president, uh, it just seems as if whenever there is a real tense or controversial policy being discussed, he does, does, he does one of these tweets that throws the entire national conversation off that particular topic. Um, and I don't know if he's doing this consciously or not. I just know the byproduct of these tweets tend to be the, the discussion moves away from policy into more superficial things. I will say, you know, regardless of the intention behind it, the conversation that has followed in the days since has been one that people have kind of been having in private circles and behind closed doors or here and there on, on social media, but not at this level, not on the national stage this way. And, you know, you mentioned the president followed up the remarks with some tweets. One of the things he tweeted got to the heart of the matter and I think put into very explicit terms what a lot of people think, which is that the issue of kneeling has nothing to do with 
with race. This is what President Trump tweeted. It's about respect for our country, flag, and national anthem, and the NFL must respect this. And Elsie, this gets to something that's sort of a fundamental disconnect um, about the origin of the protests, which is to say that, you know, people think that sometimes whatever your feelings about injustice in this country, inequality in this country, that sports is not the place for it. Like you should respect the flag and respect the anthem regardless. What do you make of that? Well, you know, first and foremost, when it comes to these conversations, we always have to look at the source. And the source of this conversation is Trump. This is someone uh, who took out a full page ad in various newspapers in New York back in the 80s about the Central Park Five, uh, suggested that they be killed, basically, be hung, be put to death, for supposedly raping someone. We find out through DNA evidence that they were not involved, not by, you know, a technicality, not by some random confession, DNA evidence, right? That's science that says they're not involved. And he refuses to acknowledge the reality because he wants to stick to his narrative. Why would I bring that up as an example? Well, because as you were saying, there is his narrative and then there is the reality. And the reality is, is that this protest started with players wanting to bring attention to racial inequality, police brutality, and criminal justice reform. Now, in his world, they're protesting the national anthem and the flag. And for a lot of people, they do feel that way. But that's because I believe the media has done a poor job of making sure that when we told this story, we didn't characterize it that way. But we've gotten a little bit lax. We've gotten lazy. We've done shorthand. We've done things like, say, anthem protests. Well, they're not protesting the anthem. They may be protesting during the anthem, but what they actually are protesting are these larger-than-life issues that afflicted this nation for centuries. Uh, You can talk to the president and tell him explicitly what the protest is about, go to the administration and try and find solutions to these issues, but that doesn't fit into the narrative that he wants. He wants the narrative that these players are protesting the anthem because it helps feeds his base. It gives him more fuel and allows him to feel as if he's got some sort of level of approval from the people that, work, that got him into office. But Elsie, it's his narrative and it's also the narrative of a lot of people. That they want it to be the narrative that, you know, when you show up to play professional sports, that's your job and you, you do your job. There's no place for politics there, right? Secretary Mnuchin even said something similar. You, you can protest. We're not saying you don't have the right to free speech, but you should do it on your own time. Is that this separation of politics and sport, especially these days, is that even possible? Well, you know, I just I'm really curious as to what example of a protest that happened during a convenient time. If, if you can help me find this convenient time in which is to protest, I would really love to know exactly when that time is. Is it, is it noon on Mondays only? You know, they, they don't want you protesting on the streets. They don't want you protesting on the sidelines of a football game. They don't want you to talk about certain issues when you're dealing with it, whether it's hurricanes and you want to talk about climate change. Now is not the time. If you want to talk about gun control shortly after mass shooting, now is not the time. There's always this not, it's not the time, it's not appropriate. And you know why? It's because it's inconvenient. It's, a, it's an inconvenience, and guess what? That is part of the purpose of a protest, is to shake things up, is to inconvenience you because you're in, you're in sort of like autopilot mode when it comes to living everyday life, and you needed something to stop you and make you think about something. So I'm sorry if you're feeling that somebody kneeling peacefully on the sideline is inconveniencing you somehow. But 
a protest in and of itself is not supposed to make you feel good. It's supposed to be uncomfortable. It's supposed to make you give pause and go, what are you doing? And hopefully sparking a conversation like that. Let's not be intellectually dishonest or lazy and look for the perfect time to protest because that doesn't exist. Yeah, LZ, it strikes me that before the president weighed in on it, there were still occasional protests going on. Obviously, Colin Kaepernick was diligently sticking by uh, his stance on this. Occasionally, uh, other players would join him here and there. But we were not talking about it on nearly the level that we are now. It kind of forced everyone to reckon with this conversation. It sparked more protests, a reaction to those protests, another hashtag with take a knee. And it also sparked, as you mentioned earlier, the owner's involvement. Um, and on Monday night's game, I wanted to ask you about this. It was the Arizona Cardinals and the Dallas Cowboys. So the Cowboys all took a knee together, right, with uh, the owner, Jerry Jones, and then they all stood and linked arms during the national anthem. The Cardinals, I think, just stood arm in arm um, mm -hmm. all together. And it strikes me now that we're in this kind of weird space where there's clearly conversations going on before they decide to come out to say, okay, what is an acceptable form of protest slash sign of solidarity? Like, how do we not alienate people but still send a message to some degree? What do you make about that and some of those conversations people are clearly having now? Well, last night's game was really interesting for a couple of reasons. You know, first and foremost, the demonstration that the Cowboys had was prior to the flag being present. Mm -hmm. And yet the fans in Arizona chose to boo the Dallas Cowboys in their demonstration. What exactly were they booing? Because if you are upset that people are being respectful to the anthem or the flag, well, their demonstration happened before the anthem was being sung and before the flag was present. So what were you booing? That's a question only those people who were booing can answer. I have my theories, um, but I don't want to speak for those people. They need to process that themselves. Number two, what exactly were the Dallas Cowboys demonstrating or protesting against? Were they all protesting against racial inequality, criminal justice reform, police brutality, or were they protesting the remarks of President Trump? Because one has to do with what Colin Kaepernick started, and the other has to do with your pocketbook. Mm -hmm. And I will, I will really hope that the, the Dallas Cowboys and the men who decided to take a knee last night were protesting racial inequality and were protesting police brutality and not protesting the remarks of Tr President Trump because they were fearful that it may impact their bottom line. Because if that was the motivation, then it just feels like it was disingenuous and just opportunistic, more so than a tr complete show of unity and solidarity. You know, LZ, when, yeah, when you look at the, the NFL just as a league, too, this was the other thing that struck me as we're seeing this play out. And we did see it other places, too, and, and uh, NBA players and, and others as well, not even athletes, other people just taking a stand and, and sending a message on social media with their own take a knee photos and videos. But at, just specifically with the NFL, what it's highlighted to me is that if the conversation is taking place on top of sort of an inherent imbalance already, and you talked about the owners having to get involved and the players, and you're talking about a league in which the vast majority of the players are black, and which the owners are, I, I believe, majority are white. I'm not sure if all are. Yes. Um, so, and, and many of them donated millions of dollars to Trump. Uh, mm -hmm. and his campaign in 2016. So there is this kind of imbalance that's, that's underpinning this entire conversation we're having. Well, this is the reason why I'm very curious as to what was the motivation behind Jerry Jones wanting to participate in a demonstration, as well as the statements of the individual franchises in the league as a whole. Mm -hmm. Because as you mentioned, 
many of these owners, many of these men contributed and wanted to see Donald Trump in office. And it's not as if they didn't know exactly what they were voting for. He was very, very clear in his entire life in front of the camera what kind of person he was and what his thoughts were. Um, I don't think anyone was blindsided necessarily after someone comes down an escalator and start calling rapists and, and calling Mexicans rapists and things like that, you shouldn't be blindsided when you have further comments that he did with the NFL players. Um, I'm really curious, again, as to what's going to happen once uh, Trump turns his attention to s some other conversations. Mm -hmm. He may tweet about the Young and the Restless and how it's an awful show or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> and then all of a sudden it's an uproar in the social, you know, in the soap opera community about what he said was offensive and people are taking a tear instead of a knee or whatever it is <laughs> for soap operas. What are the NFL owners going to do when the spotlight is not on them? Is this protest, are these demonstrations, are all these statements about unity, about the real issue at hand, or was it simply about the president turning his attention towards us? This man is uncomfortable. We need to rebuke this because we don't want to hurt our pocketbooks. Here's the That's other thing. We, that remains yeah. to be seen. And I, I want to, because there, there are some nuances here too, right? It's not all black or white or, or one side versus the other here. There are players, obviously, this is not a unanimous stance among the entire league, the owners or the players. There are players who've spoken out about their own dissonance on this, about their own confusion. Uh, ben Roethlisberger, whose team remained, I think, mostly in the locker room during the mm -hmm. national anthem, later came out to issue a statement saying he regretted that, that he, he didn't want to send the wrong message I think he later said that I wish we had approached it differently. We didn't want to appear divided on the sideline with some standing and some kneeling or sitting. And it strikes me that what the conversation, what's happened to the conversation now is that, especially on the sidelines or courtside or wherever, you're forced to make a decision. You're forced to take a stand. Either you're going to kneel or sit or have your form of protest that you feel is appropriate, or you're going to stand and remain with the status quo. And it's kind of like a microcosm of the conversation we're having about race as a country. We're like, are you on the front lines of fighting something or are you remaining with the status quo? Well, you know what's really interesting about what Ben Roethlisberger said and the conflict that other athletes have sort of expressed in regards to this, um, this protest is that they don't want to feel as if they're disrespecting something. Mm -hmm. And, it, and it's really curious because the protest uh, started because there was a disrespect of life. You know, the Black Lives Matter movement didn't start because there was equality in the criminal justice system. It started because there was inequality in the criminal justice system. It started because there were people who were losing their lives, innocent people or people who shouldn't have been killed uh, by officers, and then feeling as if there was no justice for the, for the family and friends afterwards, feeling as if their lives didn't matter, that there was a disrespect for their lives. And so this notion that the flag is being disrespected, I could certainly have that conversation. But my conversation, my question to Ben Roethlisberger and other athletes who are conflicted is, what about the disrespect for human life? Mm -hmm. Because if you're really going to be conflicted or upset about something, I would think seeing an innocent man being gunned down and then having evidence planted on him uh, by officers would feel highly disrespectful to what this country stands for. I would feel that if you're so conflicted about this that you would see something like that and you would begin to use your own hashtag or you would speak out against that on your own. And if you didn't, why didn't you do it? Are you upset because you feel as if you're being called out for what you didn't do in the past as much as what you're doing in the present? Are you feeling uncomfortable because you're beginning to realize that all this inequality has happened and you didn't care because it didn't affect you directly and now you're being affected directly by a decision that you really don't want to make? 
I mean, these are really deep conversations, and it's part of the reason why people use the hashtag stick to sports, because they don't want to have these conversations. But this is the flip side to that, Elsie, right? Which is that those same people who say stick to sports, people like Ben Roethlisberger, maybe, I don't want to speak for him, but people who feel as if this was imposed on me, I don't, this is not the place for me to take that stand or to make my, my, position known because I am here to perform a professional duty and this is what I signed up to do. I want to stay in my lane. Is, is that fair? Is it fair to have that decision imposed on them in this way? Is it fair that Tamir Rice is dead? Is it fair that Laquan McDonald was gunned down and then the officers lied and said he tried to attack him and then we see video of just the opposite? I mean, is it fair that Tavon, uh, uh, Tavon Martin's mother still walks around with the pain of her son not being there? I mean, we can go on and on about what's fair and not fair. And I totally get being put on the spot. You know, as someone who uh, is a member of the LGBT community, I know there's nothing more fearful for many men and women in my community than being asked straight on, are you gay, straight, or transgender? It's unfair. It's uncomfortable. No one wants to be forced to say something like that about themselves. But in the, in the large scheme of things of being fair, is it fair that the African-American community for centuries now has been talking about police brutality and criminal justice and feeling as if there's racial inequality and having time and time again a lot of lip service but not a lot of real metrics to show there's been a significant change. If you look at the 1960s socioeconomic metrics and you look at the metrics of today, not a great deal has changed. Is that fair? So this brings us back to the man that really first sparked this conversation. Colin Kaepernick, right? In August of 2016, during the preseason, he first sat during the national anthem. He later started to take a knee during the national anthem. His hope, as he had expressed it briefly back then, was to shine a light on racial injustice, racial inequality that's so pervasive in our country today. And to this day, he remains unsigned. And there have been a lot of speculation about why that is. I think John Mara has come out and basically said he's divisive. This is besides the fact that he's maybe more qualified on all the metrics that quarterbacks are, are, are judged on. He actually sells merch. He's a popular player. So this is the question moving forward now, where if the players won't remove politics from the game, will the people who control the game just keep them out of it? You know, Colin Kaepernick is a unique situation because he had a contract he opted out of it, and he became a free agent. If he was on contract and he got cut, that's a different conversation that we'd be having. Right. But essentially, he opted to become unemployed, assuming his skill set would have made him hireable. And we've discovered that owners are a bit cowards, and some are just being flat-out hypocritical. You mentioned uh, Ben Roethlisberger. In that same division, the Baltimore Ravens uh, talked about bringing him in. And... They claim that, you know, we've had these conversations and we think he may be a good fit. We're not sure if he can play quarterback for us. And then eventually they went and they signed a guy who had never thrown an NFL pass before. What sense does that make? Colin Kaepernick was a starting quarterback in the Super Bowl less than five years ago. And you need a backup quarterback and you sign someone who had never played in the NFL. Don't tell me this is a football decision. This is a decision about PR and what you perceive to be a backlash. Baltimore's unique situation because you can certainly point to a multitude of players that they 
welcome to their fold. You know, Ray Lewis being one who was under investigation for possibly being involved with the murder. Uh, but you welcome him back. Um, so, so you, so you, you know, you, you had Ray Rice that was on your roster, uh, who was a, accused of domestic violence. And eventually you, you eventually did the right thing in terms of pr punishing him. But at first you were hesitant and you were on his side. And this is someone who punched his then fiance and knocked her out in an elevator. And you were willing to welcome him back. So here you have Colin Kaepernick, someone who didn't commit any crime, wasn't accused of, accused of committing any crime, was actually peacefully protesting to himself for a couple of weeks before a reporter asked him a question. And all of a sudden now he's someone that you, quote unquote, need prayer for and that you want to go to the fans to talk about whether or not you want to welcome him back into the fold. It's so hypocritical and it's so ridiculous and it's so nonsensical. The reality is, is that what you don't really like is the conversation he's trying to have. It's not the protest. It's the conversation. You don't want to have a conversation about racial inequality because that takes a lot of work that you don't really want to be invested in. And I get that. But let's be forthright about it and stop pretending as if Colin Kaepernick is not in the NFL for football reasons. So, LZ, next weekend, are, mm -hmm. are we still talking about this? Is it still a thing about how players come out, whether they stand, whether they sit, whether they link arms? Is this a conversation that actually keeps up moving forward? Well, one, if we're still talking about who's protesting and who's not, then we're not doing our jobs. Because, again, we're supposed to be talking about what they're protesting, not getting enamored with the visual of the protest. And then, two, uh, it depends on what happens here. You know, one day, you know, Mr. Trump may decide to tweet something that's offensive, and the next thing you know, we're talking about something totally different. Um, and, and that's the reality of it, is that, uh, we tend to gravitate towards a new sparkly, shiny object, and that's where we send our focus. And what we were discussing prior tends to fall in the background. Remember when we were all angry about transgenders being banned from the military? We don't talk about that at all anymore, right? Why? Because he tweeted something else. And so to answer your question, I don't know if we're going to talk about this next weekend because I don't know what's going to be tweeted. What I do know is that if we are talking about NFL players and protesting, then what we're not doing is paying respect to what started as a protest against racial inequality, because that's what this is all about. It's about making sure that this is a fair environment for everyone, that if you enter the criminal justice system, that you're being treated equally, regardless of your race. That's what this conversation is supposed to be about. Well, Elsie, I hope you and I can talk about this again, and I thank you for making the time today. It's always good to talk to you, my friend. Absolutely, as always. Thanks to all of you for listening as well, and I'm Amna Nawaz.